0: we'll focus our attention on verse 5 that while Peter was still speaking Peter made a suggestion and while he was still speaking the old a bright cloud overshadowed him, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased listen to him or hear him in, in the Greek, it's just one word. We know the word in English, the word "acoustic." And in the Greek, that means "hear someone." They are to open their ears and hear him. Now we've looked for some weeks at the transfiguration, and last week we looked at the third encouragement that Christ received on this holy mountain. He went up there to pray and to consecrate himself as he became more particularly and clearly aware of the great work that he would do in redeeming sinners. He knew it from when he was young, but at this and um, the ramifications of all that, that meant became very clear to him, and he began to teach his disciples of that suffering, that he would suffer, and because he would suffer, they would end up suffering The disciples didn't like this. The Jews did not believe in a suffering Messiah at this point. They used to believe in a suffering Messiah. But by the time Jesus was born, the Pharisees had purged that doctrine out of the Jewish church. The Messiah was only to have glory. He was to be the son of David and not the son of suffering so this falls on Peter, James and John and the others, their ears very harshly and they do not understand that, and they cannot accept this, they cannot accept that the, the blessed one of the Lord and the one who would come to redeem them would have to be killed and would have to be mutilated and would have to suffer under God's hand as a sacrifice of sin this was unacceptable to them Christ goes up to pray and commit Judas even more fully and he is praying, we believe, for his Father's nearness and for help for the disciples to understand this, and the great encouragements that come in seeing his own glory shine from him, which is a great encouragement, and the glory shining from two saints who been sent back, this greatly encouraged Jesus' soul. But we saw last week that the greatest encouragement of all was the voice of his Father, that this is my beloved Son and we, what we said was that what encouraged Christ about to say, it sounds a bit simple, we read it and pass over it as though it's a nice comment from the Father, but this is a declaration of eternal love, a declaration of who Christ is, and Christ heard it that way, you are my beloved son, we saw that he had been God's son in love from all eternity, that he is the eternal son in eternal love, between him and his father, that he spoke about it, he he clearly said throughout the gospel of John, therefore does my father love me, for I lay down my life, and it's declared in that gospel that the father loves the son, and has given all things into his hand, the father loves the son, and shows him all that he is doing, that great theme of John, which is the love between the father and the son is revealed and declared to Jesus in the night as he prays In this terrible situation, he is reminded and it is affirmed to him what he knows. But as I say often to you, to know something and experience are two different things. Those who are saved here this morning know the Lord and they know that God loves them. And they know that they will be redeemed. They know they will be raised from the dead. They know that the Lord will never leave or forsake them. These are all things we know. That is not the same as experiencing the love of God and experiencing His favor, experiencing His blessing. These are two very different things. Jesus experiences that love as the eternal Son. And we saw that the Father loved him also because he would suffer. As he began to teach this, and the Jews rejected it and cast them out, and as the disciples rejected the message, the Father, they pleased with the message. He says, you've spoken on this night about your decease and your exodus, and you being given as a lamb of God for the sins of the world. You are focused on your suffering, and all are rejecting this truth about your suffering. But I tell you, my son, what you've believed as you've read the scriptures all your life, and your interpretation of those scriptures, as you apply that suffering to yourself, you are not wrong, and it's for this reason that I love you. What a great comfort Christ on that mountain. To be told, not by man and not by the Jewish church but by God himself that his will to go and give himself and to be under eternal wrath on the cross that the Father said you are right and for this reason I love you. And You, you can see how it affected Christ's mind because as soon as he comes down from the hill on verse 9 He says, "Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Christ speaks about dying and being raised from the dead without any trouble in his mind because God has affirmed his love to him and he speaks about being risen from the dead like it's something he can just do and that's matter of fact because his soul is so strong from this love of God that was revealed to him. So he's loved because he's the Eternal Son and he's loved because he will give himself for our sins. And he said that if that is the case, if it's the case that the Father loves the Son so much, and that the, the Father's greatest pleasure is to love his Son from all eternity, and the thing that fills the Father's spirit with eternal joy and satisfaction, beholding his Son, then obviously you and I, as image bearers of God, cannot be satisfied unless we love the Son in that way too the Father loves the Son and he's created us to behold the same Son and to be satisfied by the same thing so and I said to you if you and I want to be like God and to be image of God and to have the joy that God has and the glory and the love that God has then we have to be in agreement with God about what we love there are many good things in life But this object of love is the object of life. And if we miss that, we mislive and and our souls will be in great jeopardy and we might even be lost. If we are not loving the Son, he says, this is my Son who I love and who pleases me. And you and I must say, he is the Son. And I love him and he is my greatest pleasure. These are great encouragements. For Christ. But we turn to see this morning that the focus turns on the disciples themselves. If that's what's going on between the Father and the Son, there is a great question for us and me in looking upon the disciples on this hill. For they are like us. Christ is great to behold that we cannot learn from his faults because he has none. Now we cannot learn from his mistakes because he did not make any. We cannot see the sinful part in ourselves played out there, but we can see it in Peter and James and John. The focus turns to the disciples, and I, I emphasized to you last week that um, this say in a way, is just as much for the disciples as it is for the Lord, because it's not said to the Lord. The father does say, this is my beloved son. But he doesn't direct it immediately to Christ. He doesn't say, you are my beloved son. He points at the son and says to the disciples, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. So hear him. The hear him part is for us. It's for the disciples. It's not for the Lord. And we turn the focus to the disciples just for this week. And because we can learn from this, my dear friends, we have a problem that is similar to what they had on this mountain at this time. There is a reason that God tells them to hear Him. There's a reason He tells them. It's because they're not hearing Him. He doesn't say, hear Him, because all is well with the disciples. As we'll see in a moment, all is not well with these disciples. They were asleep when they should have been awake and praying with Christ, they fell asleep. They woke up in the middle of the transfiguration, disorientated, and Peter who probably should have been quiet and who should have just looked and listened to the Lord. Peter wants to speak, and it's revealed in what he says that he doesn't know what he's speaking about, and that it's not appropriate what he says. Jesus doesn't even respond to what he says. Sometimes that's the way it works. I mean, we can respond uh, to things that are said. Sometimes there are things that are said that are not worth uh, responding to. Peter says, um, we will make, verse 4, it is good for us to be here. It is good. It sounds very uh, gracious. it sounds very um, Christian, that, that he's willing to say it's good for us to be here. But it's not that, that statement this is as school as you may think it is. Peter Peter has a major heart problem at this stage, and he's saying it's good for us to be here, which is obvious. And he knows that's what's meant. He's meant to say it's good for us to be here. And we feel like saying to Peter, well, he's the obvious. This is the most glorious um, event in Jesus' ministry. And Peter says it's good for us to be here. Well, it's a lot more than that, Peter. It's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah and that sounds very spiritual that he's giving them their place that he wants to dwell with them that he wants to stay there in that fellowship with them in these tents that he recognizes this is a great revelation and he wants to. this is where he wants to be but Christ doesn't want him to be thinking that and Christ doesn't want him to say that this is where he wants to be Christ has just told him that where they must be is at the cross where they must be is at Jerusalem. Previous chapter verse 21, he showed them he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and be killed and raised on the third day. He told Peter I will suffer and I'm going to Jerusalem and I must go. And then he says to Peter in the following verses if you want to come after me, deny yourself take up your cross and follow me. And then they go up a hill a few days later Peter's forgotten all about bearing a cross and following and suffering. He sees the glory and says, Let's make tents here and stay here. You see how wrong that is. how how Peter's mind is on a completely different subject to where Christ's mind is and where Peter's mind should be. He wants to make three tabernacles. And it's revealed in the surrounding chapters that there is an issue with the disciples. And this is the reason that Christ takes them with him and wants them to witness this and wants them to hear the Father's voice. The command to hear Christ. To hear Him. That is the reason for the Transfiguration from the disciples' point of view, is so that they will hear Him. And we'll see now that there is a problem uh, brewing with the disciples. And as we approach it, we must call and take to our hearts that we must hear the Lord Jesus Christ. We all think we hear, whether we're saved here this morning or not saved, whatever, and only God knows that. You and I don't know it. And we all, in our human nature, in our natural sin, we all think we're hearers of God. You know there's lots of people out there that will tell you, I've heard God's voice, God has told me to do this, God has shown me as well that I must do this. Humanity thinks we're very good at hearing God. Peter thinks he's very good at hearing God, but he's not. But we'll see here that they are not hearing. Then we'll see that we must hear him, and, and then we'll see that we must hear him today. These are these are brief um, points that we'll make. They are not healing. Let me show you um, how clear it is that they are not healing. Um, I've given you an example there with the suffering. Do you believe that each earth and um, shoots back to heart? When God told him, you will suffer, and you will suffer soon, do you believe that Peter heard that? He heard it with his ears, but did he heed it? Obviously he didn't, because of the point we just made. But this goes wider than just suffering. Let's look at a couple of verses just in Matthew's Gospel to, to show us the kind of thing that's happened among them, and that happens among ourselves. Take, for example, Matthew 14, verse 16. So we need four or five verses in Matthew. Matthew 14, verse 16. Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They're beside the Lake of Galilee. There's about 10,000 of them. His disciples come to him in verse 15 to advise him. Lord, this is a deserted place, and the hour is late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. And you see that there is a pride arising in the disciples' right heart, and to tell the Lord Jesus Christ that the people are hungry. To tell the Lord Jesus Christ what must be done about it and where they must go to get through. You may look at that and think, they're just being sensible. But this kind of human wisdom and human pragmatism, is isn't appropriate when the person you're with is the Son of God. And they've seen him perform dozens and dozens of miracles already. But they're always coming to him and telling him what needs to be done. This is a deserted place. Jesus knows it's a deserted place. And the hour is late. They're telling Jesus what time it is. in case he he's not aware that it's actually late. And they're trying to compel him to do something. Notice that Jesus doesn't respond positively to it. He doesn't say, good point. This is what we must do about it. They, he they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that's a test. He doesn't want them to go and buy food. How can you buy food for 10,000 people? It's not possible. He said to them, you give them something to eat. There's almost a humanist aspect to it. He's telling them that they must give these people something to eat because it's a thing of faith. He wants them to think, well, how is that going to be possible? Only the Lord could do that. But look at how they respond. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. The other Gospels tell us that they went around looking for solutions, that they found a boy who had some food, and they're they're taking scraps from people and they bring it to the Lord and say this is what we have and they're doing it in their own wisdom at, um, at their own impulse and they're not asking the Lord you'll notice they don't ask him what should we do there is the beginning to be in the disciples the self-sufficiency um, and this uh, pride that is rising in their hearts uh, look at uh, Matthew 14 verse 22 it's a few verses later After the feeding of the 5,000, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So this is immediately after the whole crowd tries to make Christ king. And Christ's decision is, I'm going to separate myself from the crowd and from the disciples and away from this temptation and I'm going to spend the night on a hill alone, not with my disciples and not with the crowd. He tells them, it says here, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Sounds very straightforward. But John tells us that they didn't leave. He told them, he's their Lord and their commander. He told them, they're basically ministers at this point, and he told these ministers, get into the boat and go to the other side and I will see you tomorrow. And he doesn't give them an explanation. He just tests them. He gives them the command, get into the boat and go to the other side. The other gospel tells us that they waited there until the evening, and when they realised that Jesus would not come to them, they got into the boat and went to the other side. Why didn't they go right away? Because they, they don't view him as someone that can just command them. They think they know best. He said go into the boat. Maybe he means something different. He's going away for a night, and we don't know where he's going. We're going to wait here until he comes back. We don't want to go to the other side by ourselves. We don't usually do that. We usually wait for him. And they just disobey what he said. And you'll notice what happens to them. They leave during the night. And then they're caught in a terrible satanic storm. And they almost die. And Christ has to come to them walking on the water. You you just see a pattern here. They're coming to him and telling him what to do. And then when he says, go to the other side, they can't even follow a basis command. Matthew 16 verse 6. Matthew 16 verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying it is because we have taken no breath. But Jesus being aware of them said, said to them, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves and the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? So you'll see when a self-sufficient spirit and a sense of pride and doing our own thing, even when we're professing that we're following the Lord, it breeds in us a kind of "I am my own God and my own master, and I will do what I want." And you know what effect that has on us? It, it, it completely covers and darkens our understanding and our ability to listen. So Jesus is telling them that the leather that goes into bread is like a sin of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they've got to be careful about it. And they say, he's talking to us to be way of bread. And he obviously isn't. And we kind of make excuses for the disciples. Well, we kind of picture them as silly men who didn't know anything. These are smart men. These are men that have been trained for 18 months by Christ. And it is ridiculous that they think he's talking to them about bread. But the reason they think that he's talking to them about bread is because they're, they're with them every day and they're not really listening to what he's actually saying. They're too focused on the kingship, too focused on the bread and the, the greatest display of power, too focused on themselves, and they're not actually listening to the most important thing that we get from Christ. And that's his words that, that have to be received carefully, they, they need to be analyzed, they need to be understood. And they cannot receive these words. You'll see how this problem manifests itself at the end of that chapter in verse 22. Same problem. Jesus said he's going to suffer. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, this will not happen to you. You have to understand this, that this happens. Christians. These men are just like us, just exactly the same. We don't listen. We think we're listening. We filter what we listen to. We don't take the word just in its plain sense and we filter what we want to maybe hear and we have the natural tendency that we get from Adam and Eve since we all fell in the garden, the natural tendency to do our own thing, to interpret our own lives our own way and to not just be simple and obedient to God. It's just in us. It's a tempting thing to be our own master. Satan gave it to us. He injected us with that crime that he fell with. And it's in us all. It's, it's in our blood system. It's been injected. And the gospel is the anti that fights against us. But it is there. And Peter just says far view from you Lord this will not happen to you Jesus says, this will happen and Peter says no it won't Grabs Christ and rebukes Christ and look at our blessed, gracious, humble undangerous easy saviour that's sarcasm against yes. we didn't pick up on that look at how easy and nice Christ is get behind me, Satan. Christ identifies where it comes from, that it's dangerous from Peter, and he just identifies it and shocks Peter and says, look what you're doing. This is Satanic. This happens to us all, friends. This development of pride, this development of self sufficiency and a lack of healing, and we walk with the disciples that are around Christ. Everyone looks at these disciples and says, what oh, holy men Look at how they obey their master. Look at how they follow their master. These are good men. But God, although there's goodness in these men, there's grace and they are born again believers. God is showing us something about ourselves and these men. That as we walk with Christ, as we're near him in his ministry, and as we live out our Christian lives, we do these things. We're just like Peter, James, and John. You mean We all say, this shall not happen. We say that to the Lord. And we rebuke the Lord. And the Lord says to us, clear things in his Word that are, that are without argument and they're plain and sinful. And the Lord says, this is what I expect of a Christian. This is the way I ought to be worshipped. This is the way you are to be saved. This is how you are to be cleansed and sanctified over the years of your life. This is how you are to pray. This is how frequently you are to pray. This is how you are to rely on me. This is how you are to be with one another. He says things to us, and we, although we may not use the word for you, we do what Peter does, and we say, no, God, you are wrong about this. Not for my life. Not for my work. Not for my church. Not for my uh, family. Not for my beliefs. Not for my pastimes and my recreations. Whatever it might be. I'm not pointing out anything specific, that this is what we do in every area. We have to be very careful that we're not doing what Peter and the others are doing. Not understanding God's word, and then when Christ comes to us and says, I expect this of you, we immediately say, Christ, you're wrong in your interpretation of Scripture. Christ, you have read the Old Testament, and you have concluded that the, the Messiah must be crushed. And Peter says, with respect, Lord that is not the correct meaning there are other ways to read Isaiah there are other ways to read Genesis there are other ways to interpret this and we rebuke the Lord when we obey in some things and keep 10% for ourselves and we say, no, 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 God not in this age you, God, you are unreasonable you are not clean anyway who can figure this out? And we resist the Lord, as Peter did about suffering. I wouldn't spend much time on the others, but this goes on after the Transfiguration. They come down the hill. There is a a, a a upset hurt father whose child is possessed by a demon, who's foaming at the mouth and throwing himself into the fire and water, and the disciples cannot cast the demon out, though they shouldn't have been able to. And they said, Lord, and they asked him in secret they didn't say it publicly, inside Christ, they whispered to him, why couldn't we cast it out? We don't understand. We've done it before. You sent us out as preachers and gave us authority over the demons. We have cast out demons. We have even raised the dead. We have, you gave us your power. And they're shocked when they cannot cast it out. Why can't they cast it out? Because of all the things I've explained to you is what happened in the heart. They cannot cast the demon out. And Christ says to them, it's because of your unbelief. If you have faith even as a mustard seed. He would say to them out and move, and it would be. They don't even have faith as a mustard seed at this point. He says to them, "Faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you?" One well, terrible thing that's happening in the disciples. And then they begin to argue about who is the greatest in chapter 18. They ask the Lord, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Christ takes the question. He takes a child in front of them and he says, You have to be like this child if you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. But you can tell there's a problem. They're arguing on the road along the way and Christ overhears it. And he asks them in the house, What was it you argued about on the road? Christ heard them argue. What did you argue about? And it says they remain silent for they had argued about which one of them would be the case. For all these reasons, God says to them directly on this hill, Hear him. Hear him. Because they are not eating him. And they have to learn that they are not the authors of God's word that though they've been given a position of honor by Christ they have to be very careful against crime and they must still be pupils of his word and obey it without question without argument and without stubbornness and they haven't learned that they they saw Jesus as at the beginning Peter said away from you Lord I am a sinful man Peter said that at the beginning. He's not saying that now. He's not saying away from me. I am a sinful man. He's grabbing Christ. That's our humanity. See that. See what happens in our Christian lives. It's happened to you. It's happened to me. One time we see what we really are and it humbles us, and we worship the Lord and we're thankful for, us for our salvation. And then in a couple of years, then we're grabbing Christ, telling him what to do, and telling him how to run his church and run our lives and all of these things. we, be, we think we're the masters. Because we instinctively want to be. We are not the masters. And Peter's getting it all wrong. And the other two on the hill are getting it all wrong. Uh, a tent for Moses. A tent for Elijah. A tent for you, Lord. You are all glorious. And we want to stay with you all. And let, we don't want to do our ministries anymore or go down We want to stay with you three because you three are great. Moses is a great prophet. Elijah is a great prophet. And you, Lord, you are a great prophet we think you're maybe the son of God whatever that means and you are you, you are in this great school of prophets that the Jews think Moses is the greatest but we are saying Jesus that you're in there with Moses we honor you like we honor Moses God has to smash that in their minds he is nothing like Moses nothing like Elijah they're not eating him and they're commanded here to hear him because he's nothing like Moses and Elijah. You know, don't hear Moses and don't hear Elijah. As good as they are and as they wrote scripture and all these things, He, the Father shows how much Christ is exalted above all others and is nowhere near. He's not in just the above category. He's nowhere near these men that these men spoke, as we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. They spoke in times past. God spoke through the prophets and gave glimpses and pictures of what he was going to do in Christ, because it was necessary. he, He gave Moses a word, and he gave Elijah a word, and Daniel, and Jeremiah, and all these men. God is revealing himself through the prophets speaking to them by the Spirit of God and by the Son of God, and revealing these little pictures, childlike pictures, of his truth. But the author says, in these last days he has spoken through his Son. And that's it. That is the final word. Moses, as the author of Hebrews, labors so hard. To make the point, Moses doesn't come anywhere near Christ. Moses was a servant of of God, but Christ is the son over the house. Moses was part of the house, but Christ built the house. And if you'd ask Moses, should we listen to you or listen to Christ? Moses would find the question unbelievable. Because he listened to Christ his whole life. He saw Christ at the burning bush in all these places. The disciples are in jeopardy here of uh, raising these men to a level that they ought not to be raised. They're not li- I'm, I'm looking at Jesus because his glory is in him. Because he's sleeping in the same house as them, he's eating with them, and they begin to despise his glory. They think he's a man just like them. And they think they can tell them what to do and um, not obey his commandments and kind of have these discussions with him. And it's wrong, and the Father tells them here, the Father points them to this, this fact, because in the Old Testament we are called to worship from Deuteronomy 18. This was a, a famous uh, Jewish prophecy that was debated in the temple all the time. Who is the prophet? The one who will come. Is he the Messiah, or does is, is he come with the Messiah? Who is the prophet that Moses promised us? Who is this great prophet? And they asked Christ when he went to the temple, Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? When he multiplied the bread, they responded by saying, Surely this is the prophet. When the father said to Hear him, he is pointing them to Deuteronomy the UK. A prophet shall be raised from among you, like your bread. Him shall you hear. Famous Jewish tax that and the father basically quotes it here to these disciples and says to them what are you doing you need all these wrong opinions to just fall down and you need to be told starkly this is the one that I sent and he speaks with the authority of God they spoke in past times through the prophets and in various means but in these last days I have spoken through my son so you hear about my dear friend as they didn't listen, and as they're told here to hear the prophet and hear the Son, you take with you, whether you're in Christ or not, whatever you are on the spectrum or whatever you're wrestling with, that there could be in some ways no more important thing to say to you than that you must know that the Son is the only one to be listened to. The author of the Hebrew says, How shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation that was spoken by him. Do not make a to hear the one who speaks from heaven. Christ spoke through these people, but what happens in his ministry is that they're all coalesced together, they're all merged together in the body of Christ, in the spirit of Christ, and he speaks all the truth of the Old Testament, all the truth of his ministry, and all the truth of the New Testament to his apostles. Christ comes from the God who is slightly revealed in history and he reveals him as the sun rises in the morning and blazes upon us. And that is that he is the only one who can tell us God is and how we must live. And if there's anything in your heart that resists that, um, that is a danger to you. You're in jeopardy. And the root of that is connected to hell. If there's anything in you that stops and says, well, I don't know if I should listen to the Son. And I'm going to question the Son. This text comes to you and just says, you will listen to him. He is the only one who speaks from God. Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. or anyone. None of them know what they're talking about. They've never seen God. They've never heard from God. But this is the one who came from the bosom of the Father. And in these last days, he has spoken through his Son. So they didn't hear, and I'm for you, why they weren't hearing. And that they're told here, you must hear the Son. For he is the final word. So how are you and I to hear him now? We weren't on the mountain. They heard his voice on the Holy mountain. So we think it's easy for them to obey. They heard the voice. How do we hear now? Well, we hear through the scriptures of God. There's no time to delve into it because I've not managed my time uh, very well. I'll just read the text to you. And Peter says this about the transfiguration in his old age. Second Peter one sixteen. We did not follow cunningly devised tables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus. He received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. We heard his voice, which came from heaven. When we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says that. I heard his voice. But then he tells us that we have the prophetic word, a more sure word, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place, knowing that no prophecy in the scripture came by private interpretations, but prophecies never came by the will of man, but from the holy men of God, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter says there, I heard his voice, but he's saying we have a more sure word than even that voice, because we have the prophecy of God, the revelation of God as Christians. Peter didn't hear his voice again. He heard it in his thirties or forties, however old he was. He didn't hear it again. In that sense, but he's hearing it as an old man. Where in the scriptures? In the scriptures. Peter read Paul's letters, he tells us, in his letter. And he treats them as the scriptures. He knows how to recognize God's voice, And he's telling us that this revelation on this hill is a picture for us. It's for these disciples to hear them at the time. But it is a command to us all that we must hear the Son. And Peter tells us where do you hear the Son? In the Holy Scriptures. This is a more certain word of prophecy. And it is, this scripture is as sure and clear and not to be argued against as the voice on that mountain. You didn't hear the voice on that mountain and neither did I. But we have the same voice. I have it before me on the left here and you have it on the view. And we, we kind of treat it like it's an interesting thing to study. Sometimes it grabs us with a bit of seriousness. But you think about it. This is as sure and as authoritative and as glorious as the voice that came on the mountain. This is my son, hear him. Where is the son's voice? It is here. From Genesis to Revelation. As the men of God were moved by the Spirit of Christ and wrote down his voice. This is the living word of God. The Apostle says, Timothy. all is scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for correction, instruction, rebuke, and and righteousness. It's God-breathed. We want to know what Christ says. His gospel is Genesis to Revelation. This is the testimony of the Son. These are all the words of the Son. Genesis is the word of the Son. Matthew is the word of the Son. Revelation is the word of the Son. All of this Bible in your house is the voice that was on the mountain. And it's in your house. It's on the shelf. It's beside your bed. It's in your car. It's in your mind if you've memorized it. This is the living word of God that alone will make us live. And alone tells us how to live. So Jesus tells his disciples as they struggle and wrestle with the pride and their resistance and their lack of understanding and their misunderstanding of Scripture. And God says to he Hear the Son openly, fearfully, humbly, listen to him. And he tells us this text, these two words, them, are for us, and we are called to hear this word. Read it, friends. Read it from beginning to end and read it from the end to the beginning and accept it without wrestling with it. By all means, study it, ask questions, but do not come to it resistantly. How must we come to it? Openly, prayerfully for illumination, receptively, humbly, that before we open it, We don't go in for a debate, before we open it, we pray and we say, I will accept everything that I read. I will accept it, for you are my King and Lord, and you tell me how to live fearfully, humbly, openly, receptively, with a heart that is cultivated and all the thorns, of self being pulled out. And then we come to it, and it's amazing what it tells us. They weren't hearing. They weren't seeing him as the final word that he speaks about. We also must hear, for this is a more sure word of prophecy. It's God breath, and it is the sword of the Lord that pierces our being and tells us all that God would have to tell us. And it tells us, my dear brothers and sisters, we're coming to the end here. It tells us and I plead with you. I plead with all of us. I plead. This word, it tells us how to be saved. It tells us how to have our sins forgiven. Once and for all, on a daily basis, it tells us what we're really like in our hearts and mind. That our hearts are deceitful about all things and can be very desperately wicked. It tells us Of the surety of judgment that is coming soon, of Christ's return, and that we will all be judged. And it it alone tells us about hell. No one else will tell you about hell. Most pastors wouldn't even tell you about hell. This is the only place in the world now that you can actually hear about hell. The rest of the world acts like it doesn't exist. Jesus tells us because He loves us, He warns us about those things it is a changed word and it tells us all that and it tells us how to live and we all need you we need to be told how to live we are too proud we think we know how to live what's good and right what's appropriate and inappropriate what's acceptable and unacceptable in every area of our life even in the church these things. We we have our opinions, we all think we know what is necessary. This word stops all of that. It tells us what Christ says about all of these things. So we all must go here. What saith the scriptures? What did the Son say? How did He tell me how to live? How should I spend my time? How should I worship him? Why should I be here on the Lord's Day? How should I spend the Lord's Day? How should I deny myself? The world tells us that self-fulfillment is the meaning of life. Christ tells us that self-denial is the meaning of life. Most things we ought to deny ourselves we should just deny them, because we don't need them. But we're taking a all in, because the world tells us that this is the sign of goodness and a good life. If Christ tells us all of this, why would we resist it we profess his name? This is my son. Hear him, Peter. Hear him, James. Hear him, John. And he tells us clearly in so many areas of our life, this is what I have said. And we do what Peter does. We ignore it. And we say, how about we build three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We know the scriptures. I know Moses, Elijah. I know what a tabernacle is. Is this not a good idea? The church has far too many good ideas that will be revealed on the last day as bad ideas. We should have a lot less of our own ideas, and we should just listen to the song. Is not you, my dear Christian brother and sister. Pick up your Bible today, no matter what the issue is, and ask yourself, what does the Son say? What does my Lord and Savior say? And am I in a position like Peter, James, or John? Or am I a willing, open, receptive, obeyer of God's Word? And it makes my own heart ache because I think in some ways I want to obey God's Word but I can see too much. That does not want to do that. Not as willing as it once was. It was like Peter, so willing at the beginning, but now when we say things like this. Let's make three tents, and it's irrelevant and it's foolish, and we're missing the point. Let us all hear the resounding call of the Lord to hear Him. They didn't hear Him. They were called to hear Him, and we. Are called to hear him. Let me close with a verse from Hebrews that we read in our reading as the author quotes Psalm 95. The Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the days of trial in the wilderness. For your fathers tested me, they tried me; they saw my works for forty years. I was angry with that generation. Beware, brethren lest there be in an any an evil heart, of unbelief, in departing from the living God. The author there tells us that and eating is not a general thing. Relaxed about. He's not telling you to hear in a month's time or asking you if you heard two weeks ago. He's asking you right now, my friend, today. Today. And that's the exciting thing about worship and about Christianity. That it's alive today. God is alive today. Christ is speaking today. And we're alive today. And we have the opportunity to hear Him. The, the people in hell, the souls in hell, as solemn as it is, they cannot hear. That voice anymore and its grace and its invitation, we can. Our lives are worth billions of dollars, billions and billions, compared to the way we view ourselves. We have a life, and we are present in his church this morning, and we have an opportunity to hear him today, and to obey him today, and if we obey him, he blesses us, and he gives us understanding, and he makes us more like him. He makes he, he purifies the soul and makes the soul willing and happy and joyful and able to interact with others and bless others and share the gospel with others. He affects the way he deals with our lives. If we are refusing him with a hard heart, resisting his word, not, not valuing the opportunity to hear him today, then he will chastise us. That's what he did to them in the wilderness. I was displeased with that generation. I swore to them in my wrath you would not enter that rest and for 40 years I was displeased with them and they rebelled when they came out of Egypt. Who was I angry with for 40 years? They fell and their corpses fell in the wilderness. The people of God Israelites who were bound to the love of God and in God's covenant and God didn't say to them I can't do anything with these Israelites because they're under my covenant I can't do anything to them. God said, because of my covenant, because they are not heeding, they are not obedient, they are full of themselves, they are living for themselves, they are not taking my commands seriously. Everyone in that generation, apart from Caleb and Joshua, died in the wilderness because God chastised his people. Solemn thoughts. Today, if you will hear his voice, and respond to it, and embrace all that he says in this whole word, without resisting it, the whole word for your whole heart, for your whole life. If you hear it, and respond to it, you will be closer to Christ. You will be a man and woman of prayer, and you will have power. You will have the power of the Holy Spirit. The power comes from hearing today, and praying today, and obeying today. If we do these things, what a gift he gives us power. And we can cast out the demons, figuratively speaking. We can speak with authority and grace, and we can see souls safe. If we resist and choose and cut out parts of this world, because we don't like them, and we don't want them for our lives, our ears will be soft and filled. Our hearts will become hard and we will have no power. We will have a lot of words like Peter did. We will have a lot of ideas, but we will have no grace and no power because we are not hearing him today. I pray that you will hear him today and that I will hear him, that we've heard him in this hour and that as we go out of this place, our ears will be open I'm tuned to the radio station of God's word, and that we will hear his voice today. He is a great God. His voice is great, and it is to be heard today. I pray that you will hear that voice today, for he is your God, and he wants you to hear him. Not me. He wants you to hear him. Amen. May the Lord bless this consideration of his word. Let's remain seated for a moment and we'll pray. Our Father in heaven help us to hear work in our souls and make them like Christ who heard your word and obeyed every syllable of that word. Help us to look up and to look up to him and to stretch out our hands in prayer and ask him to seek. For the devil will tell us today, and tell many today, that God is far from us, that he cannot be known and heard, and that Christianity is not alive, that we know from you that he seeks. And we ask that we would all know what it is to pray, and say as Samuel did seek Lord. For your servant hears you. Speak to us, O Lord, in all of our situations. And may we pick up this book and look at it as the very voice from heaven. And a letter from the God of holiness and glory. Pardon our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.